Well, good morning again, church. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to worship with you. And man, I really enjoyed worshiping with my brothers this morning up in the loft. And I was enjoying so much singing with them and just kind of sitting with them. Uh, and then it got quiet for a moment, and I realized, hey, this is the offering time, and uh, who's the knucklehead who's supposed to get up there and, and do this? And then Billy kind of says, uh, hey, uh, Troy, on, on the bulletin here, it says your name. So I realized I was a knucklehead. And then as we're singing our final song, Billy says, hey, um, just so you know, you're the guy down to preach this morning. And just so you know, I hadn't forgotten that part. Okay, I was, I was planning for that. But before we get into our, our sermon on this awesome text, um, if you are uh, actually, maybe you're just joining us for the first time or, or maybe you've been here for a long time, there's a couple pieces of paper here inside your worship guide that may be helpful. Uh, one, the, 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 this, this piece of paper right here is some sermon notes that kind of help you follow through the sermon. Uh, the texts that are not right here in Hebrews 11 uh, I've got those written out for you uh, to help you this morning as well as later so you can reference this. Um, the other piece of paper that you'll, you'll see is this congregational poll for Robbie Gray. So we, we had the joy of having Robbie and Erica with us a few weeks ago, and we um, next Sunday will be our last, but uh, I want you to just pull this out real quick. If you are a member, uh, and that means you may be a, a teenager, but, and you are a member of our church. You've been baptized you, you, as, a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. You have joined our church saying, yes, I covenant to pray for the, the body. Uh, like we saw the Keens join last week. We'll be having a, another family, the Jorlets, at the very end of our service, joining our body as well uh, in, in covenant membership. Um, if you've done that, we want each person, husband, wife, uh, teenager, if you're a member, we want you to fill this thing out, okay? And so just so you understand what we're doing here, um, we elders have examined Robbie. We, we believe that he is elder qualified and gifted by God to serve our body in this position. Um, he would come in as a staff minister, and we, we hope that down the road we'd be able to bring him to, to you as a candidate for elder, but he'd be initially coming in as a staff minister to serve us as a minister of discipleship connection, all right, helping connect uh, uh, our, our uh, ministry team leads with new talent, new members coming in, the whole new membership process of Discover Rocky, et cetera, and also helping us with church administration. And so you see four options here, and if you have a pen, uh, I think there's maybe even a pencil in your uh, pew in front of you. There are four options that you can circle. One is A, which says, I have prayed through this decision, and I do believe it is God's will for us at the time. So if that's where you are, uh, let me encourage you to circle A if you haven't already done this. We have about 50 of these that we've already received. But if you haven't yet turned one in, this is part of what you've agreed to do as a member, right? To give feedback to the elders. And so this is our mechanism for it. Um, B would be, hey, I've prayed about it, but I don't have any clear direction, but I'll joyfully submit to the direction God has given others. Uh, and by that, we mean the elders as well as other, the, the majority of, of the, the group. Uh, C here says, I haven't prayed through this decision. I will, however, joyfully submit to the direction God has given others, and we're going to make C irrelevant here in just a moment. Uh, D says, I've prayed through this, and I do not believe it is God's will for us at the time. And we, we would ask you to share with us why, okay? And so, you know, you can use the back if you need to write more. If you'd like to, um, if you'd like to write an email to us, that's fine too. Or you can, you can put on here, uh, hey, I'd like to talk to an elder about it. And we, if that's the case, we, we definitely want to talk to you and kind of hear 
your, your thoughts on that. So um, let's bow together, though, and pray all together as one body that God would lead us and guide us in this, because this is very, very important. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for the faith of your servants, um, Robbie and Erica Gray. Lord, it's just a joy to get to know them. Thank you for their willingness to come up here, to spend time with us, to humbly answer all kinds of questions, to even teach us your word. And Lord, to, uh, to be willing to be considered uh, to come and help us in this very needed role. Lord, I pray that you'd grant each member your leading and wisdom here, Lord, and that uh, you would grant us great unity as a church as we consider prayerfully uh, bringing um, him on in this, in this role to serve with us. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, what a wonderful uh, sermon text this morning. Uh, You may note that the title of our message is Nomadic Faith. Do you have the faith of a nomad? Well, I I actually, to be honest with you, like my house. I love sitting around my table at night with my wife and children for a good home-cooked meal. I I love it uh, when it's chilly outside, which doesn't happen a whole lot in Florida, but when it is... Uh, being able to have a fire in the fireplace. I mean, I just love that because it attracts the family together. And, and even the dog just loves to come in the room and to be with us and kind of get close to the, the fire. And I love laying down in my bed, which is comfortable uh, at night, next to my warm wife, especially on a cold night. So I, I like being at home, but I actually also like backpacking for a limited amount of time. Maybe there's a little bit of a, of a call to wonder inside my heart. Last summer, I had the chance to go out to Montana for 10 days, and, and for the entire time that I was out there, though I was enjoying the, 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 the scenes of nature that we were able to see, I was dreaming of home. In fact, the, the conversation topic that we spoke about most on the trail was food, actually. It took us about three hours to start talking about Food. We, we talked about bears. We talked about different things. But we spent most time, most of our time, out of all topics, we talked about the Lord too, okay? Um, but we were talking about food. And I was thinking every night about that comfortable bed and my family members and how I couldn't wait to get home to them. Hey, buddy. <laughs> we got a runner. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Get him, Josiah. <laughs> Or Joshua, is that Joshua? There he is. Sorry, a little distraction there. But you know, here's the here's the point. Backpackers, backpackers are actually temporary nomads. Okay, the idea when you're out there on the trail with your backpack is that you've got all the gear with you that you need for survival. You got you got the clothing you need, or you should have the clothing you need, no matter what happens with the weather. You've got the food that you need to be able to survive. You've got shelter. You get, you've got a water filter, right? So all you need is a water source, usually, usually several times a day, if, if possible. Otherwise, you're carrying a really heavy pack. And you can survive for a time on, your, on, on, on the trail out there, right? You've got everything you need. That's the idea. But you, be, you don't want to have anything you don't need either because you want to be as light as possible, and so you're a temporary nomad because eventually your gear is going to run out or your food's going to run out and you're going to have to resupply or you're just going to get tired and, and, and tired of it and, uh, and ready to head home. Well, imagine what if God called you to be a nomad? 
not, not just for a week or two, but for a lifetime. I know that some of you in the military might feel like, hey, we're nomads, especially when it comes time to pack up, move to another duty station, unpack all your stuff, get to know new people. Um, I know that that feels like being a nomad. But believe it or not, there are real nomads still on this earth. I've got a couple pictures for you, um, if we can put those up, um, of, of some nomads in Afghanistan. These pictures, which I think we're going to get up here in a sec, are from 2006, 2007, something like that. Um, up in the western part of the country, um, these are called coochies. And these people truly don't own any land, all right? And they don't really recognize borders either. So they roam throughout Afghanistan. They roam into western or, or eastern Iran. They, they, they find themselves sometimes in the, in the northwestern uh, mountains of, of Pakistan. Basically, where there's been enough moisture for there to be grass or some kind of grass for their livestock. And these folks live not a whole lot different than folks in the Old Testament. They got, you know, go ahead and do the next slide. This is a picture of the caravan. This is, them, you know, here you got some pitch tents and go to the next slide. Um, you, you can kind of see what life looks like. You can hit the next slide. Um, you know, in the springtime, uh, I've had the chance to interact with some of these people. Um, our team were actually trying to figure out how to, how to, uh, do some healthcare stuff with these people, and it's hard because they're constantly on, on the move. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the faith of several famous nomads from the Old Testament, and we've already read about them, specifically Abraham and Sarah this morning, but that leads us to our very first point of the faith of the nomads, and let's look again at verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews 11 as we talk about Abraham's faith, as we listen and, and learn from an imperfect man all right, about his, his faith in God. So verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I think that last verse 10 is so vital. He was, looking, he was willing to live as a nomad and, and live a, a life of, of not of ease, of being on the move, of not owning any property. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, he actually owned a little bit of property in Canaan, a very small amount of property, um, and, and constantly on the move because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, that, that, a city that's built on a solid rock, whose designer and builder is God. Well, we see that Abraham went out as a nomad because he believed God's word, and therefore he obeyed God's calling on his life. He left the comforts of home, and the warmth of his extended family to become a nomad. See, Abraham wasn't always a nomad. He actually grew up as a city boy, city slicker, right, in the ancient city of Ur, which archaeologists have excavated in modern-day Iraq, 186 miles southeast of Babylon and a bend of the Euphrates River. And this was a significant ancient city with quite a few amenities for the ancient world, but we read in Genesis eleven thirty one that Abraham's father, Terah, when Abraham was a, a grown man, 
moved his family from Ur, and this happened after Abraham was married to Sarah, so we know that he was, was a man. He, uh, Terah moved Abraham and, and his extended family to a place called Haran. And it's kind of interesting when you look at Genesis 11, um, Abraham's father, Terah, actually had his sights set on the land of Canaan, but for whatever reason, that's not where they landed. They, they went up to a place called Haran, which is in the southern part of modern-day Turkey, and it was an established settlement. And, and so that's where they lived for some time, for uh, actually probably a matter of decades. And in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham was actually 75 years old, we read that God called him into the life of a nomad. And God made Abraham an incredible promise then when he called him that actually extends to this day. So you can turn to Genesis chapter 12 if you like, or we've got the words here up on the, on the screen, and we have them in your notes as well. But we read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless you and I will make your name great. You know, the ESV uh, study Bible notes has, a, has something really interesting here. It, it calls this the failed aspiration of tower builders to make a great name. All the, you know, you think of the Tower of Babel. You think of the ziggurats of the ancient world. Mankind trying to make his name great. And yet God says, I'm going to make your name great by you being a nomad, which in the ancient world was really a nobody. That you, that, so that you will be a blessing. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So the writer of Hebrews, who we affectionately call Mystery Man, highlights Abraham's obedience here. We see in the Genesis text that he immediately obeyed God's call because he believed God, even though he didn't know where he was going. And what he did know was that his wife, Sarah, through whom God had promised to, to bless the nations and to make him into a nation, her womb was barren. And frankly, she was probably already getting up there in years. And so one, one writer labeled this obedience, outward evidence of his inward faith. So go, look, look back and remember the description that we see in the very first verse of this great chapter describing uh, this hall of faith, all these, you know, all these champions of, of faith in the Old Testament. Hey, by the way, one of them we're going to look at later is Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. Bill Turner, by the way, is excited to teach on that one. He's, he, that's, that landed on, and he, he was like, hey man, I'd love to teach on Rahab. And I was actually kind of looking forward to, to that one myself. But it's, it's, it looks like it's going to work out such that Bill's going to teach us on that. So never put God in a box. Rahab the prostitute is one of our champions of faith that we're going to learn about here. So, but remember the description of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, how it all starts. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
So God promised Abraham that he would make his descendants into a great nation in this land of Canaan that he would show him. But remember, the, the only land in Canaan that Abraham ever actually owned throughout his nomadic lifetime was Sarah's grave. All right? And we read about that in Genesis chapter 23, verse 4. And even in that acquisition from the Hittites, Abraham told them, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. And so they allowed him to buy the land that would be Sarah's grave. That's it. That, that's all the, own, the land ownership rights he had in his lifetime of following God as a nomad. So although Abraham knew that God would establish his family, he didn't actually see it happen. He saw the beginnings of it. He saw the birth of Isaac. But he believed God. And, and, and so throughout his life wanderings, in his mind, the promises of God were a certainty. It was going to happen because God had promised. Philo of Alexandria made the point that Abraham, quote, considered things not present as beyond question already present by reason of the sure steadfastness of him that promised them. If you remember a few weeks back when Pastor Bill was preaching on the, the first couple of verses of Hebrews chapter 11, he said that true faith is a deep confidence in what God said. True faith is a deep confidence in what God has spoken. Last week, Morgan reminded us that oftentimes that confidence of faith doesn't necessarily equate with our sight or our common sense, right? We see that in the example of, of Noah doing something that people considered crazy for decades, maybe 75 years building a giant boat the likes of which the world had never seen. He might not have even ever seen a boat himself, we don't know. Probably living somewhere in the Fertile Crescent, probably hundreds of miles from the nearest body of water, building a, a giant boat on, in a big field, okay? I mean, that just does not make sense. In fact, it's almost offensive. It's so non-conventional. And as folks listen to his message because we know he was a preacher of righteousness, right? Uh, they were offended. Like, you were saying that we're all going to be destroyed. That, that, that ark was a, uh, that, that means that picture of salvation was really offensive to his culture. And yet, he did this crazy feat out of obedience to not just a crazy dream, but God's clearly revealed word. Well, that's what God delights in. When we take steps of faith in obedience to his clearly revealed word, and it's unconventional maybe to, to ourselves and those around us. God delights in that. He, he delights in that. And let's remember that it's not only Abraham's faith, which was demonstrated through obedience, there was also Sarah, his, his faithful wife. She was a nomad too. She goes all the way back to Ur when you read the Genesis accounts clearly. And so she had left the ancient, comfortable, powerful city of Ur, and later the comfortable settlement of Haran, to sojourn with her husband. And so we see verse 11 here dedicated to Sarah's faith. So let's learn from her faith. And specifically, Mystery Man here details her faith when it comes to the power for God to open her 
barren womb. So look at verse 11 with me, if you will. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, wait a minute, you might say. Sarah laughed. You remember that? When Sarah first heard the word from the Lord, she laughed. In, in Genesis 18, feel free to turn there with me, if you will, for a moment. Or again, I've got some of the, some of the verses in your notes. Um, if you've got your Bible with you, which I, I do hope you do, um, go back to Genesis chapter 18. And here we have a very interesting story in which Abraham was camping by the oaks of Mamre, and in the heat of the day, three men appeared before him. And we, we don't know exactly what they look like, but they, were, they appeared as humans. And here we see that Abraham knew that this was the Lord's appearance. Now there's mystery, there's questions. Could this somehow represent the Trinity? Or was one of them uh, a, uh, a, a, anthro, uh, a, a kind of a human uh, form, maybe of the second person of the Trinity, maybe Jesus with two angels. There's different te- takes and all that. But, but what, what matters here is that Abraham recognized that this was the Lord, okay? Uh, somehow God gave him the faith to understand that. And so he, he runs to them. He entreats them in a very humble manner. Uh, normally men of, of, of uh, older stature, um, patriarchs would not run, okay, that was beneath their dignity, but here you see him run and address them in a very humble manner, entreating them to be his guests, does it in a very Middle Eastern fashion, uh, kind of minimizing what he can offer, and then he runs, and he, you know, runs in the tent, tells Sarah, hey, make some cakes, quick, you know, he runs out, and he, he grabs the choice calf, it has his men prepare it, and he serves them this big meal, okay, and they have this meal together, and then we see in, in verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent, which would have been very appropriate for that culture. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And, and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, she was past childbearing years, as well as we know that she had been barren. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son." But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So, okay, this was not Sarah's finest hour of faith. But later in Genesis chapter 21, we see that Sarah had experienced a change in heart. She did come to believe God. She got pregnant And when she gave birth to Isaac, she laughed again. But this was no longer a a laughter of unbelief, but a sign of believing joy. She said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Not a derisive laugh, but a laugh of, of joy. Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah 
that they would nurse children. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And, and, and maybe some of you understand that great desire to be able to have a, a child. Uh, in their culture, this was everything for a woman to be able to, to bring a son, to, to continue the family line into the, the world. Here, I think, is a, a, maybe a side note of application for us when it comes to faith. None of us have perfect faith, completely absent of moments of doubt. And, I, and we, we have a gracious God who is able to see the end from the beginning. So when it comes to the big picture, what matters is that we endure in faith. When we fail, we simply fail forward, right? And, and we look up and we confess our, our doubts, maybe even our unbelief to the Lord. And we, we, we say like that father in, in, who, who cried out in the, in the book of Mark to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, right? And the Lord loves to bolster the faith of people who have that mustard seed of faith, who, who recognize that they're not even strong enough to, to believe. And that they need his, that he gets all the glory even for our faith and who ask for it. So if you're struggling in faith, ask for it. Read his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Well, let's consider the, the object of faith, and that is in the faithfulness of the nomads' God. That's why these nomads had faith that enabled them to step out and do things that were crazy to the human conventional mind, right? They could step out and, and do what was completely unheard of, voluntarily choose to be a nomad and wander the earth, right? Coming from, a, frankly, I think Abraham started out wealthy, all right? Um, he, we see when we, we see later in Genesis that he had a whole lot of animals, and he had a whole lot of servants. Uh, he was a wealthy man. Well, I, I don't think he got wealthy by just, um, you know, from nothing. I think he started out from a, a wealthy family, and he chose to leave all that behind and, and to, to go and to journey, to do something that people didn't do. Well, why? To believe that his wife would indeed bear him a a son that would become the, the, the father of a, that he would become the, the father of a great nation when they had never been able to have a child together. Well, it was because he believed the word. He believed the faithfulness of the Lord. So let's consider the faithfulness here that we see in this text of the nomads' God. And we'll continue looking at verse 11 and 12 again. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, when Mystery Man uses this term, him as good as dead, um, we see Paul actually uses the same term in Romans 4, 19. I think maybe they're employing a little bit of humor, all right? I mean, Abraham was around 100 when um, when Isaac was born, and Sarah was 90, and we know that Abraham lived to be 175, all right? And he did some stuff between the age of 100 and 175, like climbing Mount Moriah, all right? Uh, and frankly, impregnating another woman uh, decades later. So I'm thinking that Abraham, 100 for him was, was kind of a young 100, let's just say, okay? Out of 175 years, um, and I'm thinking Sarah may have been a young 90, all right, when you kind of look at her, her. But still, 
they were well past childbearing years. Humanly speaking, their line was dead, okay? Uh, Humanly speaking, it was not possible for Abraham and Sarah to birth a nation. But look at how God showed them his faithfulness. From this man was indeed born a great nation, and we see through their lives that their faith was not based on the reasonableness of the commands and the promises of God, but on their perspective on his power and his faithfulness to keep what he had promised them. And so God did indeed fulfill his promises to Abraham. Today, his descendants cover the earth. They're everywhere, right? The Jewish nation is, is certainly in Israel, but you'll find Jews in South America, uh, in, Amer- in our nation, um, around the world, in, in Russia, or around the world. And in, in, in addition, through Ishmael, you have the Arab nation as well. And in a spiritual sense, we Christians are Abraham's spiritual descendants as well. We, we look to Father Abraham as one of our great heroes of the faith. So God fulfilled his promises to Abraham, and I love how this whole text ends, verse 16. We're going we're gonna to think about this a little bit more in a moment, but simply, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So some elements of God's promises to Abraham, he is still working out. We look forward still to the fulfillment of this at the very end of the book. The new heavens and the new earth with the celestial city as its capital. And as we journey together on the road to that city, let's consider our final point that we can learn from them. And that is the faith of a nomadic mindset. That's our third point this morning. The faith of the nomadic mindset. We may ask, well, what is a nomadic mindset? Let's look to verses 13 to 16 to try to answer this question. These all died in faith. Now remember, the the final test of faith for the Christian is death. It's the Rubicon that we have to cross, right? And it's, are we going to endure to the end, those last moments of life when we cross that dreaded river? We know the celestial city lies on the other side, but we've got to get through the river. And so these all died in faith, enduring to the end, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And I love this. This is hard, but I love it. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Nomads. The nomad mindset. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they, like me on my backpacking trips, right, had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. When I read this, I can't help but think about Jesus telling His disciples, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, right, my Father's mansion, are many rooms, or another translation would be, in my Father's house or place, are many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. Can you, I mean, you, you ever stop and think about that? 
the love and humility of God to be constructing eternal places for you, like personally, having designed us the way he's designed us, having given us the inclinations he's given us, he's the designer of that city that we look forward to. Well, I think this passage could really encourage a room full of missionaries, folks who've left their families, their extended families, and their houses to travel to a foreign land. And I've had the privilege of talking to groups of missionaries, and sometimes they get tired, start wondering, what, am I crazy? Is this worth it? Uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of traction. And, and it might start looking back. And, and, and so I think this could help remind and encourage a, a room full of, of missionaries to keep your eyes on the mission. There, there's a lasting city waiting for you at the finish line. So don't give up on your calling. But I, I thought a lot about, well, how, how can I best encourage a room full of nice civilians? And by the way, I don't think that there's a, like an A team and a B team or a missionary is a higher Christian. And the reason is I know a lot of them. Okay? And I know you. And some of you, frankly, are more godly than some missionaries I know, to be honest with you. Okay? Um, crossing salt water doesn't make you more spiritual. All right? Amen, Ted Wells? You guys know some missionaries. You are missionaries. These guys are, are, are awesome, by the way. Um, but, but we all battle the flesh, right? But, but how can I encourage you with this text? Well, first of all, maybe God is calling some of you to leave it all behind, do something crazy, right? To go overseas to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who haven't yet had the opportunity to hear it. Maybe God would call. I know that we have folks in this room who are praying about that. Well, a nomadic mindset is indeed a missionary mindset, and we should honor and do our best to support missionaries, future, present, even past. In fact, if I, if I just throw that out, um, when you think of a famous missionary, what name comes to mind? Tip of, your, tip of your tongue. What's that? Hudson Taylor, all right? Famous missionary to China. Who else? Jim Elliott gave his life. William Carey, right? The father of modern missions. He was a, ba- a particular Baptist missionary who um, went to India back in, in uh, the late 1700s and endured all kinds of hardship. Maybe you think of Adoniram Judson, right? I googled last night, first American missionary, and you know what name popped up? Adoniram Judson. In 1812, he went to Burma, where he served for 40 years. But you know what? Adoniram Judson was not the first American missionary who went to the field. Ten years before him, there was a man named George Lyle. And unlike Lottie Moon, we, maybe we think of Lottie Moon, right? I mean, Lottie Moon, what a, what a hero of the faith, Right? We, we, we name our Christmas offering as Southern Baptist, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that goes to the IMB. She basically was, was, she was actually four foot, three inches tall. All right? Pure fire, I believe. All right? Probably better missionary than wife. No, no, no offense. Anybody who's a Lottie Moon fan. Um, chose singleness because of her devotion to Jesus Christ. Spent 40 years in China and basically starved to death after giving away all of her food in a massive famine. Opportunities to leave, her mission board wanted her out of there. She refused. Um, Spitfire. Awesome. 
hero of the faith, right? Well, unlike Lottie Moon, who actually grew up on a plantation in Virginia, in the big house, okay, George Lyle grew up as a slave in Georgia, in pre-Revolutionary War America. And after gaining his freedom right at the end of the Revolutionary War, he went as an American Baptist missionary with his family to Jamaica as a prolific evangelist and church planner. And I'm, I'm actually ashamed that I never learned until like very recently about George Lyle for some reason. The IMB regards him as one of the most significant figures in the history of Christian missions. IMB writes, while William Carey is recognized as the father of the modern missionary movement, that designation also belongs to George Lyle. He was a free Georgia slave who came to Christ in 1773 at the age of 23. In 1782, he and his family left the United States to share the gospel in Jamaica a full 10 years before Carey left England, like 30 or 40 years before Judson went to Burma. So certainly, we should honor and we should support our missionaries for their willingness to literally become nomads. But not all of you. In fact, I would say most of you have not been called to be a physical nomad, right? God doesn't call. We haven't all been called to be physical missionaries. We're all called to be light wherever we are. But not all of you have been called to the life of a physical nomad, but all of us in this room have been called to nomadic faith. All right, so what does that mean again besides caring about missions? Well, Pastor Kent Hughes used a word that I found kind of helpful to, to try to encapsulate the idea of nomadic faith. And the word he used is dissonance kind of a big word, dissonance. Maybe, maybe we could use the term distance or even tension from and with society, right? Being in the world, but not of the world. So he writes, the word for Abraham's existence was dissonance. He never fit in. His religion was different and far above that of the land. He was a monotheist and his neighbors were polytheistic pagans. His standards of morality were rooted in the character of God, while theirs came from gods they themselves had created. His worldview invited repeated collisions with that of the inhabitants. He was always living in conscious dissonance. What a lesson for us. The life of faith demands that we live in dissonance with the unbelieving world. A life of faith is not anti-cultural, but counter-cultural. Thus, a vibrant faith is always matched with a sense of dis-ease, a pervasive in-betweenness, a sense of being a camper. It is a dangerous thing when a Christian begins to feel permanently settled in this world, end quote. Hope you'll remember that. And, and consider your life and where your heart is. It's a dangerous thing for a Christian to feel permanently settled in this world. So, let's be salty. He's put us in this world not to go create monasteries and convents. We're supposed to be lights in this world. We're to live in it. But let's make sure that we're doing it as lights that attract people to Jesus, that, that reflect His glory. Some people aren't going to like it. Other people will be attracted. 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we live in this world as reflective lights of his glory and we don't put a basket over our light. A nomadic mindset recognizes that ultimately we are not of this world. I don't know if you've ever seen that bumper sticker. We, we should order a bunch of them and put them on our cars. That says, not of this world. I love that. Not of this world. My identity, I am not of this world. I am an alien, a nomad, right? And I've got a, another home that I am living for and looking forward to. Our true heaven, that final heaven, or that final city, that destination is the celestial city. Now the truth is, I like my house. I like my bed. I like my pantry full of food. And I'm grateful for the American healthcare system. Let's make sure that we keep praying for our, those who serve in a very tired system. Okay, Dr. Joshua and a number of our folks who are medical, um, praise God for his common grace. Thank, I'm thanking the Lord this week that, that our brother Greg is alive, that, uh, that they've been taking good care of him, and that, that his trajectory looks a lot better than it did five or six days ago. I praise God for that, and I like it. I like having modern-day health care. Having lived in places without it, I like it. But it is easy, too easy when things are really comfortable for us to put our ultimate hope in the comfort and in the health and in the pleasures of this life. And here's the thing. You can't hold on to any of it. If that's where your, your heart is, you can't hold on to any of it. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where Neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, you know, when I think about an Afghan believer today, right? Or I think about a, a Christian in China. Or I think about George Lyle, right? Growing up in, in slavery. Maybe it's, maybe they, maybe in a sense, it's easier for them to not get too trapped up and put their hope in this life, because their life is hard. But when we have, an e when we have it easy, this is a great temptation to, to lay up treasures on earth instead of in heaven. But a nomadic faith puts our ultimate faith and our ultimate hope not here, but in heaven. Remember Abraham's nomadic faith that we saw in verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Even as he wandered the earth with the promise that God would indeed give his family land and a whole lot of people, and, and they would develop into a great nation. New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce wrote, the truth is their true homeland was not on earth at all, as he's speaking of the patriarchs. The better country on which they had set their hearts was the heavenly country. These, the, the earthly Canaan and the earthly Jerusalem were but temporary object lessons pointing to the saints' everlasting rest, the well-founded city of God that we call the celestial city. And so I love this last verse in our text. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, 
God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham and Sarah, their son Isaac, their grandson Jacob, like us, were not perfect people. They had, they had feet of clay. I mean, you read the stories in Genesis about these people, and you're like, man, I can't believe they did that, right? But God was not ashamed to be called their God because they followed him with a nomadic faith. Well, what about you and me? Are we willing to follow our Savior Jesus who lived the life of a nomadic teacher with a nomadic faith? If so, these words are true for us. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, this week I exhort and encourage, pray that you and that me, that all of us will indeed follow the words of Colossians 1 or chapter 3 verse 1 through 4. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now the truth is, we in this room are blessed to live in the year of our Lord, 2022, in Niceville, Florida, or wherever you live, Baker, Valparaiso, Freeport, right, Fort Walton Beach. Um, we, we live in a beautiful place, and I hope you're thankful to the Lord. Some of you might be like, no, I'd like to set my clock back to 2019. I got that. It's been a hard couple of years, but we are so blessed to, to live when we do and where we do. But ultimately, where is your hope? Is it in a life of wealth and ease on this yellow submarine? Or is it the eternal city that God is preparing for you? Mystery man wrote in Hebrews 13, 14, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess to you, even as I have just preached this message, that all too often I do not have a nomadic faith. All too often I, I delight too much in your temporal blessings. And while we thank you for them, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us not get distracted by them. Father, I pray that you would give us a vision of Christ at the right hand of God. Lord, give us a vision of heaven and of the enduring celestial city that we read about at the end of the book, at the end of Revelation, coming down to, 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 to bring your presence on earth. We look forward to the day in which you remake this beautiful planet into a truly beautiful and wondrous place where we dwell with you forever. Lord, give us the hope, give us the faith to see that and to therefore live a nomadic lifestyle of a faith where we say we are temporary sojourners here are our homes in heaven. I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.